0: Good morning, church. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're joining us online at our 9 a.m., we are also so glad you're with us. Go ahead and use the chat button. There are hosts waiting to chat with you and pray with you. And now let's stand in our call to worship this morning. And our call to worship comes from Psalm 95, and it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of
1: Big win-
2: sha
0: scripture reading today comes from psalm 121 and it says the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your right hand the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night the lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life the lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore
3: His kingdom is a savior who gave his last breath. So may we die daily, our pride lay to rest. His kingdom is humble in the broken heart.
0: good we worship you today we lay down our lives before you in this moment right now lord we pray is that when we go into this message that you will be able to speak to us we'll be able to listen to your word what you want for us to take in with today lord jesus be with us now pray all these things in your holy name
4: Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, if you are watching online uh, with us today, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, welcome to uh, Ethan, Kathy, Barb, John. If any of you made it to our online service, we're glad you're with us. I had conversations with many families last week. I invited them to watch us online. and uh, If you came in person, we're glad you're here. I can't see who's here, but if you're in person with us, we're glad you're here with us uh, as well. If you're online, just be sure to say hello in the chat. Let us know you were here. If you're in person, you've got that connection card uh, that's in your chair. So if you could just take that out for a moment, just fill that out, put the names of any adults uh, that are with you on there, that would be fantastic. We'd love to know that you are uh, with us. As we move into the summer, we have a lot of opportunities uh, for people to get connected at Springbrook. Uh, So we have opportunities for uh, kids. We have our Kids Connect that's going to be kicking off uh, next Wednesday. And so if you haven't signed your kids up for that, Um, You can sign up for that on our website. We have some exciting things happening with students, our student ministry as we move into uh, the summer. In fact, Kyle's going to be leading uh, tonight. They're going to be meeting for their uh, summer gathering, their first summer gathering. So it's going to be right here at Springbrook at 630. They've got some fun things planned as they go through the summer to build relationships. And uh, the women are going to be kicking off a women's summer study in a few weeks. And so if you haven't signed up for that, uh, you can do that on our website. And guys, we have a men's power up uh, coming up on uh, June 19th, so Monday evening. And then we've got many men's groups uh, that are going to be meeting throughout the summer. So summer is a great time uh, to get connected. I know many people are on vacation. Uh, It's a good time for us to kind of just enjoy the summer. But it's also a great time for us to uh, get to know one another, to connect. And we have plenty of opportunities for you to do that. If you have not yet downloaded our app, you can text Springbrook app to uh, 77977. That will drop right on your device. Everything uh, that you need to know to be connected to Springbrook is there. And you can always visit our website. Um, as well. I also just want to let you know we're, uh, you know, we're working through some transitions with our staffing on our children's ministry. We've got some opportunities uh, as we think about leadership and how we invest in our kids, and we have several opportunities uh, for anyone that is interested in investing in the lives of our next generation of kids, and so if you are interested in helping to serve in children's ministry as we move through the Summer, we're building some teams up, we're preparing for the fall, and we would love to talk with you. If you're interested in investing in the lives of our kids, and so you can text uh, Kid City uh, to that phone number, you can scan that QR code, you can go to our website, you put it on your communication card, you can say something in the chat. If there's any interest that you have uh, serving in children's ministry, we'd love the opportunity um, to talk with you. We have our uh, student ministry gathering for parents and students uh, this afternoon, right after the second service at 1230. Uh, We're going to be gathering together parents and students and giving them an update on some of the exciting things that are going to be happening uh, through the summer. And so if you've got kids, uh, no need to register, just show up for 1230. And uh, if you want to know more information, it's on our app and it's on our website. And then we have a baptism service coming up on the 25th. And so if you are interested in taking that step, um, we would love to talk with you about that um, as well in our series called Sent, and uh, we're getting close to the end. Uh, we have been looking at the various post-resurrection appearances of Jesus uh, from the time that he was uh, resurrected to before he uh, had ascended. Uh, we started out by looking at Jesus' first appearance uh, with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. We saw the other Mary, and we saw the importance of coming to see the empty tomb. Come, see, go, and tell. And so we looked at some important principles about what the implications of the resurrection mean for us as a church uh, and individually. We saw that Jesus appeared to the disciples, both with Thomas and without Thomas. And we saw that um, a future encouragement about something that is relevant for us today. We saw that although we can neither see nor touch Jesus, we are especially blessed because of our faith without seeing today. And so we talked about the importance of our faith and the implications for what that means for us. Jesus appeared to the disciples and he gave them the great commission to go make disciples, to baptize and teach them. And so that going is is our effectiveness of reaching our community. And we've had over 100 new people at Springbrook just this year. Just this last week, we have four new families that we engaged that are signed up with us and are watching online. And so we want to go out into our community and we want to help people to understand the hope that we have in, in Christ. And so we're excited about what it means to go. And then to baptize, we have a baptism service coming up. Baptism is, a, is a, physical, it's a, it's a, it's a visible reflection of something that we have come to understand internally about our relationship with Christ. And so if you've never been baptized, you know, go baptize then teach them to obey. And so the teaching component is how we apply Scripture to our life. And while we're looking at this sense series and, and asking about how does this apply to our life, that is, it's an important series because Jesus changes everything. And so we want to encourage one another in our faith as we think about what God has for us. Jesus appeared to the seven disciples where Peter was singled out. And we've seen uh, Peter, a clear example of Jesus redeeming someone, forgiving them and redeeming them. And Peter is a great example of what forgiveness and redemption looks like. We've been looking at these post-resurrection appearances before Jesus would be ascending uh, into heaven. But... There are three times that Jesus appeared after he ascended into heaven. We're not going to look at those in any detail, but Jesus would appear to Stephen in Acts 7 when Stephen was being persecuted and put to death. Jesus had already ascended, but he appears to Jesus after that ascension with Stephen. He would appear to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he would appear to John on the island of Patmos as John was preparing to write the book of Revelation. And so we've been looking at the pre-ascension appearances of Jesus, but there was three appearances of Jesus that that we know about after his ascension. We're not going to look at those in detail, but I do want to talk briefly about Jesus appearing to Paul, who was then Saul. You know, Jesus had ascended. The Christian faith was spreading, but not everybody was excited about that. The Jews in particular were not excited about that. And Saul then... Uh, Soon to be, Paul was a devout Jewish leader. He was so devout that he was persecuting the Christians as an affront to his Jewish faith. And so Paul was a very uh, devout uh, Jewish leader. Uh, But when Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9, he he helps him to understand who Jesus is. And Paul has this epiphany moment where he comes to understand who Jesus is. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. Paul was on his road to Damascus. He was, as he approached Damascus, a light from heaven shone around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? There's a link between who Jesus is and our our body of Christ. And so he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And so Paul has this post-ascension experience with Jesus. Jesus has died, he's been crucified, he rose from the grave, and all of this happened in around, you know, 33 AD. He died, he came back to life, and he was ascended, but he reappears for the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 7. First of all, he does it to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was the first Christian that would be killed, and then he'd appear to Paul, and we see that story really start to unfold as we move through Acts chapter 9, and and all of this is happening in a matter of months since Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Paul would end up giving his life to Christ, he would become a Christian. he would spend several days in Damascus, and then according to Galatians chapter one, we would see he would spend you know three years uh, there as he moved on into Arabia, now the modern day of Turkey. And so we don't know a lot about Paul's um, conversion and how he grew in faith prior to his actually becoming an apostle. You know, the Bible talks a lot about that. But for 10 years, there's not a lot of detail on Paul. We know that in about 45 A.D. that he would travel from Antioch, Antioch on his first missionary journey. We know that he would take a second missionary journey through uh, the territory of Macedonia, planting and starting churches throughout the area. And he would find himself in Corinth in about 50, uh, 51 A.D., and so Jesus is ascended. He appears to Paul almost immediately after. Paul grows in faith, and around 50 A.D., he's on his second missionary journey, he finds himself in the town of Corneth, and, and so he's establishing churches there. And then it was about 53 to 54 A.D. that Paul would leave Corinth and then write the first letter back to that church uh, that he had started. So Paul was in Corinth. He had relationships with them. He would leave Corneth. And then the church would kind of get in disarray. Just a couple years later, Paul would have to write a letter back to that church. There's a division in the church in Corinth. You know, there's division, there's sexual misconduct, there's confusion about foods, what foods can we eat? And, and interestingly enough, there's a controversy about the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul writes to them to remind them about the appearances of Jesus. And so, in our timeline, as you look at Paul, Paul is writing this letter in 53 to 54 AD, and he's referencing something that happened prior to Jesus' ascension. And so when we go to our timeline, we're looking at Jesus' appearance to 500 witnesses and to James, according to Paul, who was writing many years later. Does that make sense? And so Paul is writing about how Jesus had appeared to the disciples, to the 500 witnesses, and to James, and so that's what we want to look at this morning. And so it's only through Paul's writing that we know about these appearances of the five hundred and uh, the appearances to James. And we're in First uh, Corinthians fifteen, is where Paul is writing about this. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me for a moment to First Corinthians. Uh, we're in chapter fifteen, and uh, Paul is writing. Beginning in verse one, he says, "This I want to remind you of the gospel." That I preached to you while I was there, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received from Christ. Jesus spoke directly to Paul. It's one of the reasons why he's an apostle. He didn't hear about this good news from any of the other disciples. Jesus appeared to him personally, which was one of the requirements for being an apostle. He received it from Christ that he knows that for our sins, he died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Caiaphas, who was Simon Peter, who was given the name Caiaphas or Peter by Jesus. He appeared to Caiaphas, then to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I have worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me, whether then it was I or they, so we are preaching to you so that you can believe and so you can be saved. And so Paul is referencing you know, a truth from many years later. And he's telling them about the eyewitness accounts of 500 and then to James. Concerning the resurrection, he says this in verse 3. Can you help me? Clicker, do that work. Need a clicker. In 1 Corinthians, in verse 5 through 7, he appeared to Caiaphas, Peter, and then to the twelfth, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And so this is the Easter story. You know, Jesus died, he was resurrected, and he appeared um, to the the disciples, the twelve and the five hundred after his resurrection. And so the Easter story was is that he died according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. But then his post-resurrection appearance that Paul's talking about happens in verses five through seven. appears to the disciples, to the twelve, and to Peter. And that's the series that we've been in. We've been looking at these appearances of Jesus, but there are only two appearances here that we don't see anywhere else, but they are really important. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after being dead for three days. He, and then he appeared to James. But I want to talk first about these 500 people that Jesus had appeared to. And before we do that, I want to share a quick story with you. I was in Panera last week, Having my lunch, I'm working on my sermon. That's my kind of my hideaway. I've got a, I have a personal little corner back in the back It's by a window. So this couple comes walking through, and uh, they're looking for a seat, probably by the window. And and so uh, he looks over at me, and we're kind of talking. His wife keeps walking. So he and I start this conversation about how beautiful it is outside. So yeah, it's really nice to be able to sit and look outside the window. I wish I could be outside, but I'm stuck inside. How come you're stuck inside? And he said, Well, I said, Well, actually, I'm working on my sermon. <laughs> he said oh you're a pastor so we started talking he said yeah i visited a church in the area I said, Oh, that's a good church and and so we started talking about church he said yeah i really like church but he said you know what he said i just have a problem with the resurrection <laughs> do you know what a divine appointment is a divine appointment is when you're thinking something whether you're reading a passage and and god's doing a work in you and somebody walks up into that and just kind of speaks into it and he says i have a problem with the resurrection and my little my spotty (laughs) tents. It's like, have I got a deal for you? (laughs) I said, well, that's funny. You should mention that because that's exactly what I'm teaching on this Sunday. I said, did you know that after he was resurrected, over 500 people saw him come back to life? I was like, really? I was like, yeah, the evidence for the resurrection is is overwhelming. And so we have this great conversation. And I I want you to know that, that the 500 people are important. The 500 people that Jesus appeared to are important because if just one person saw Jesus resurrected, you could dismiss that. No, it's just one person. He's probably off of his rocker. If Jesus appeared to five people, you know, you might believe it. But then you'd be thinking to yourself, well, they probably know each other or something else going on. So you might believe it if, if five people heard about that. If Jesus appeared to just the 12 disciples, and he did, who, by the way, all gave their lives for telling other people about Jesus... You would, you no, know, that's, that's solid evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, you know. But then you could also say, well, it's, it's just the 12 disciples. They were all drinking the same Kool-Aid. And you could dismiss that. But there is good reason to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. But look what Paul is saying. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. Even though some of them have died, most of them are still alive 20 years later. And so when Paul's writing about this, he's like, if you have any doubts, you don't just have to believe me. There are most of the 500 that are still alive that you can talk to about it. If you don't believe me, go ask them. There is a lot of people that saw Jesus rise from the grave. That is overwhelming evidence. We had a uh, staff meeting last week, and we welcomed uh, Maggie, our new office assistant to our staff, and she's doing a great job. We're glad to, uh, to have her, and so we were going around the table, and we were giving updates on our ministry, and so I was talking about our small group ministry, and at some point during the conversation, I said, our small group ministry, I'm, I'm so proud of our small group leaders, and our coaches, and for those of you know, people that are committed uh, to biblical community, our small groups are important to us. I said, we have, we have, over, we have over 200 people in Springbrook that are connected to a small group, And so one of the staff members, I'm not going to mention their name, Laura, said to me, what do you mean 200? I said, what do you mean? You're questioning the 200. I said, well, that's what it was before I left small group responsibility three years ago. What have you guys done to it over the last couple of years? And she said, well, it's only about 160 right now. You know, there's a lot of numbers to keep straight uh, at Springbrook, and I am so grateful for our staff. They are into the details. But it was so funny because Laura challenged me on 40 people. One person, one staff member, challenged me on 40, 40 people. So that's the point. Just one person challenged me on 40 numbers. Actually, there's, there's two points because our attendance is down a little bit and our small groups are down. And so well, I think people are still coming back from COVID. We still need to engage. We've taken a break for many years and, and we're trying to re-engage you know, our community, both at Springbrook and our community. And so there's two points. First of all, I got challenged by, by the number. And then second of all, we need to be praying that people would feel engaged and committed in being a part of this uh, body of Christ. But one staff person, if one staff person will come at me for something as simple as 40 people in a small group, what do you think that 500 people would have done to Paul over a 20-year period if he had made that claim about Jesus being resurrected? It is overwhelming evidence about the resurrection. 500 people saw, most of them are still alive. Some of them have been killed for their faith and some of them have died, but, but those people that saw Jesus resurrected from the grave are eyewitnesses and not one person, not one person, even before they died or before they were killed, challenged Paul on that reality. And so we're not just talking about one, two, twelve, five. We're talking about 500 people that saw Jesus die, go into the grave, and come back to life three days. And no one ever said it's not true. This eyewitness testimony is important, it is proof that Jesus was resurrected. And so uh, I, I question statistics. Uh, I like them because <laughs> they're fun, because uh, they show trends and such. And for what it's worth, um, the Barna Group uh, publishes some uh, interesting information, and I did the best I could to kind of show this to you on the screen, but in general, they conducted a survey uh, throughout North America, primarily focusing on the United States, and they found that in America, over 60% of Americans would describe Easter as a religious holiday. It's a religious holiday. Everybody would recognize it as a religious holiday. Some, some were confused. I grew up thinking it was about eggs. I don't know. <laughs> so, But the majority of people would recognize Easter as a religious holiday, but, but only 40% of those that were surveyed believed that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. 40% from a national perspective. And here's the shocker. 50% of the people that go to church every week believe that it was a uh, a holiday, but only only 50% of them believe that Jesus was actually resurrected. And so when you start talking about church attendance, even within the church, there's some questions about the reality of the resurrection. Now we know that our young adults, 18 through 25, are the ones that are probably the most skeptical, with 37% of them believing in the resurrection. 58% of them believe it's a religious holiday, so it's for the most part been dismissed. And so as our country, as our community starts to age out, what we're finding is, is that there are more and more people that are doubting the reliability, the history of the resurrection, and and what Easter is all about. If somebody attends church, you know, last week, so they did the survey, they said, how many of you attended church last week, and this many people, so for people that attended church in the last week, only 54 percent of them said they believe in the resurrection, now, 77% believe that you know it was a holiday, so that was, that was good. If somebody had attended church only once in the past month, it drops from 54 to 43%. And so you need to go to church more than once a month, <laughs> right? So people that are regularly connected to the church still have questions about the resurrection. It drops for people that are only going once a month. For people that are unchurched or call themselves Christians and don't go to church, 25% of them believe in the resurrection. And so the things that we're talking about, you know, so you might be listening to that and thinking, well, I believe in the resurrection. What's this got to do with me? Well, what has to do with you is that the majority of people around you don't believe what you believe. So I don't know what your conversations have been like with the people around you, but the majority of people don't believe in the resurrection. You know, this is important, and I don't assume that everybody that's present with us this morning at Springbrook believes in the resurrection. Or for those of you that are watching online, believe that there's a resurrection. There are many people that still have questions about that. And if you have questions about that, I am so glad that you are here because there's evidence for the resurrection and it makes a difference. It makes a difference to how we live out our life. It, it should make a difference. Because the other reason that people had a problem and there was a lot of information that they shared was, you know, the number one reason people have struggles with the church is because of the hypocrisy in the church. So you say you believe this, but your life doesn't reflect that. And so this is important. It's relevant to us. If you've been a believer for 50 years, the resurrection is relevant to you as you think about your witness to the people and the lives around you. The resurrection is important. If you believe in the resurrection, your faith and sharing your faith is a priority. You are a witness to the power of Christ that is working in you. Acts 1.8 says that you have received the Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to go out there and tackle anybody. But part of the dynamic is, is just saying to somebody that I believe in the resurrection is your being a witness. And talking about the power of Christ working in your life as being a witness. This is important, and there's a reason that Paul wants to focus us on the 45. It gives us, you know, tangible evidence for the resurrection, and Jesus prayed for you. As you think about the work that God's doing in your life and your ability to influence people around you, you realize that Jesus prayed for you, that the Holy Spirit would draw you into a relationship with himself, and he prayed for your spiritual growth, and he prayed that you would be an influence with the people around you. In John 17, 15, Jesus prays, not that he would take you out of the world. You know, it's a mess out there. I mean, who wants to be out there? I'd rather be in here. You know, we, we fooled in ourselves because, to be honest with you, I'd rather hang around you guys than somebody that's going to be challenging me in my fi- faith and get in an argument. And so think about some of the things that we get pulled into out there. And so this is a place of Safety. But that's not what Jesus is praying for. He's praying that they would not be taken out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, keep them safe while they're out there talking to the people around them. They're not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, what, into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so Jesus is praying for us for those that have a relationship with Christ, that they would be sanctified, that they would grow in faith, and that they would be an influence to the people around them. And then Jesus doesn't just stop praying for the believers. He goes on to pray for the non-believers. I'm not only praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so the resurrection is great ammunition, folks. So if anybody has a question about the resurrection, well, I don't know if I believe in the resurrection, you can say to them, do you realize over 500 people saw Jesus come back to life? It is evidence for the resurrection, and God has given us this truth so that we can share that with the people around us. The resurrection of Christ is the foundation for the Christian faith. If you pull the resurrection out of that story, we all can go home. In fact, Paul says we're doing worse, we're misleading people and and propagating a lie. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. and Paul's recording, these 500 witnesses is important. Your witness is important because it's that witness that identifies those who belong to Christ. Paul would continue to write down in verse 20, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also what? The resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so that resurrection story is foundational to our faith believing it is foundational to helping us identify those who belong to Christ. That's not something that we're concerned about. We want to help people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ. We want to grow them in their faith. But when Christ returns at his second coming, those who belong to Christ are going to be raised and they're going to spend eternity in heaven. The remainder of those that are apart from Christ have the assurance of spending eternity in hell. And we don't like to talk about that, but that is the reality in why the resurrection is so important and why these 500 witnesses are critical for us to understand that this is a biblical truth that we need to cling to. Paul's recording the appearance of these 500 witnesses is important. It's important because it provides evidence for us and for the resurrection. Paul's witness of these five hundred people is important to us because it points us to the resurrection, and then Paul also records the appearance to James, and that 's important because of the reliability of james 's testimony and so we have five hundred people for which we have not a whole lot of information about, but then we 've got James, and Jesus identifying james in, in that passage is important because of the reliability of the testimony of who James is. Now, we have, we have multiple James Jameses in the, in the New Testament. So he appeared to the 500, then he appeared to James. And so we have, we have many Jameses uh, as we read through uh, the, the Bible. There's at least three. Um, so who is this James that um, Jesus has appeared to? Um, of the three, there was James, the son of uh, Zebedee. And uh, we know that it was not him because he appeared to James and then all the apostles, and James, the son of Zebedee, was an apostle. (laughs) And so this is a different James than the Apostle James. The Apostle James was one of the first of the twelve that would follow Jesus, and so we know it wasn't him. And then the second James was the son of um, Alphaeus, and he's only mentioned three times uh, in the New Testament, and it's always in connection with his mother Mary and his brother uh, Joas, which is it's kind of a slang for Joseph the Second. I'm Richard the Second, and so, but that James was always connected to his uh, mother Mary and uh, his brother uh, Joes, or Joseph. So the third James that we have here, by process of elimination, is the one that had uh, led the Council of Jerusalem uh, back in Acts chapter uh, 15. He's the one that God would uh, speak through. Uh, as he's writing the book of James. And this is the James that would be the half-brother of Jesus. And so this James is the half-brother of Jesus. This James uh, knew Jesus intimately. Uh, he knew him personally. Uh, but he also did not believe in his brother Jesus at the beginning. <laughs> so his brother, his own brother, his own family, didn't believe that Jesus who was he, who he claimed to be. In John 7... You know Jesus was going about Galilee, is performing all these miracles, he's teaching all these great things. But he didn't want to go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And so his brothers, James included, says, "Look, you need to leave here. You need to go to Judea so that your disciples over there uh, may see the works that you're doing. The works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he says, seeks to be known openly. So if you do these things, you need to go show yourself into the world. For even his brothers." did not believe in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. And so this James that we're referring to is Jesus' brother, but interestingly enough, he didn't even believe in him at the beginning. That's a confidence killer, isn't it? (laughs) I'm getting ready to start a new ministry and your whole family thinks you're nuts. You ever been in that position? (laughs) Wow, you really believe that? I can remember (laughs) talking to my... When I first became a Christ follower, and I got baptized. And uh, my dad might be watching online, so I love you, dad. My dad's now a believer, but my dad says, are you joining a cult? <laughs> I know I'm not joining a cult. My poor mom uh, thought I was going to be excommunicated and go to hell because I was like, well, that's not what we believe. It was funny because when I first became a Christ follower, I didn't have anybody <laughs> encouraging me any in my faith except for the few guys that I had met at my uh, you know, first church. My sister had become a Christ follower at some point, and so her and I got to talk. But it's discouraging when something's happening, and even those that are closest to you, that what you're going through. I can remember when I was talking to Carolyn about my calling to ministry, and and uh, I was thinking about going back to seminary. and She said to me, she said, "I know for a fact that God's calling you into ministry because I know that you would never go back to seminary <laughs> without God. <laughs> School for me was painful." And man, for me, going back to school, it was, you know, my, my wife, you know, just really encouraged me. And so, you know, but when, but when those that are closest to you doubt your calling and don't believe in you, that's, that's difficult to work through, isn't it? James grew up with Jesus. He had known him his whole life. And yet he did not believe the claims that he was making about himself. In fact, Jesus goes back to his own hometown after performing all these miracles and teaching about the kingdom of God. He, he pulls back into town and, and they all start questioning, is this the carpenter's son? Who is this guy? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are all his sisters with us? When, when this, where did this man get all these things that he's talking and teaching about? And they took offense at him. It's not that they just didn't believe him, but they were offended. They were all devout Jews and he was challenging their faith. And so they took an offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. So even those that were closest to him did not believe in him. That's incredible, isn't it? That those that were with Jesus for 30 years did not know him, did not believe in him. None of his brothers is mentioned in the Gospels as, as a disciple during his pre-crucifixion ministry. I mean, his family was just out there. You know, do you, like me, have family members that don't have a relationship with Christ? This should be encouraging to you. Because Jesus himself had family members that questioned who he was. This should also be an encouragement to you because it is the Spirit of God that draws people into relationship with himself. And so we just, our role and our responsibility is just to keep praying for them. You know, we make a faith commitment, we get excited, and we want everybody around us to jump on it. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Jesus was with his family for 30 years before they finally saw him resurrected and believed. You know, after the resurrection of Jesus and after his ascension, his entire family uh, become believers. And they, we find him, the, and they find all of them in the upper room, worshiping with God. In, a book, in the beginning of the book of Acts, in uh, chapter 1, after... Uh, Matthias is uh, chosen to replace Judas. We see this uh, scene. They had returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. There was Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and then Simon the Zealot, and then Judas, uh, the son of James. And then we See this in verse 14. And all of these were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so his entire family comes to understand who he is. They all were rejecting him. They didn't believe him. They knew him, but they saw his perfect life they knew that he had lived a perfect life. You know, my sister will tell you that I was not perfect growing up. (laughs) If you have brothers or sisters, you have people in your family, you know there's nobody perfect. James and his family came to understand that Jesus was God in the flesh without sin and had lived a perfect life. And so it wasn't just that he was resurrected. I mean, if my sister, if somebody here was resurrected from the grave, it's like, well, well, good for you. You came back to life, but you're still not perfect. One of the requirements for the Messiah, the coming Lord, was that he would be God, righteous, without sin. And we find that in Christ. And his family gives testimony to that. And so they're all Christians. And they are all together, devoting themselves to prayer. It took over 20 years of faithful ministry and prayerful witness by Jesus. But a miracle. Heard. His entire family became Christ followers. You know, may God grant us that same sense of grace to our friends and family who we are praying for. And then James would go on to write the book of James. He's writing to the early Christians, to the early church, and he says this beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith, not in my brother, as you hold to faith in our Lord Jesus jesus christ the lord of glory james has come to understand fully who his brother is he refers to his brother jesus as the lord jesus christ the lord of glory can you imagine what this phrase would mean for james jesus the lord of glory who he had once slept with in his house, he would ate dinner with at his dinner table, who had played with his friends, spoke to him like a brother, now comes to understand who Jesus is. And Jesus, who would have to have had endured the unbelief of his family, had paid the sin for their family, and had brought them to their faith. See, Jesus was perfect and holy and without blemish his family came to understand who he was fully. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so what transformed James? What transformed James from becoming a skeptic to a Christian? What transforms any of us from becoming a skeptic to becoming a Christian? There's two things. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ the reality of that and the implications for what that means it's the re- resurrection and it's the understanding that Jesus lived a sinful a sinless life he lived a sinless life and so James and his whole family came to understand who Jesus was and they became Christ followers and when we come to understand that we when we come to understand that Jesus is sinless that he paid the penalty for our sin that he took that debt on himself as our passover lamb We personalize that. He didn't just die for everybody. He died for me. He died for Richard. He died for you. He died for us. And he took that sin on himself. And so Jesus being sinless and perfect as a substitutionary sacrifice for us is important. And then knowing that he came back to life and he was resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus and this conversion of his family is reliable evidence for who Jesus is. Paul's recording of those 500 witnesses is important because it provides evidence for the resurrection. And Paul's recording the appearance of James is important because of the reliability of James' testimony. And so the question that each of us needs to answer for ourselves this morning is, how important is the resurrection of Jesus to me? And so the Bible has given us evidence for the resurrection. It's life-transforming power. What is the relevance of the resurrection to me, to us? You know, Paul would continue to write in 1 Corinthians 15. He goes on to talk about the reality of the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. And when you get down to the end, back towards the end of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, he writes this. He says, I tell you this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. We shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This perishable body that we are in must put away and be put on with the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? And the sting of death is this, it's sin. The power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, beginning in verse 58. Therefore, As a result of that, you need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable. You need to always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Serving to invest in the lives of children is not in vain. The time that we come together in our small groups to study and apply and and live out Scriptural principles in our life, that's not in vain. Getting up in the morning and coming to church, and even when it's raining, this is not in vain. Sharing your faith with the people around you, that's not in vain. Whatever you're doing, if you're abounding in the work of the Lord, know that in the Lord is your labor and it is not in vain. And so, if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, you need to know that your witness is important and you share that with other people, and as you serve the Lord, all of these things are important. They're important because that's a part of how God's plan works out in our lives, drawing other people to Himself as we're sanctified and built up and encouraged in the faith. And so if we're believers, if you are a Christ follower, the resurrection is foundational to your faith, and it is an important part of how we live out our lives. Our jobs are important because we need to eat, right? And school is important because we need an education. And so there are some things that we do in life that we have to do because of the world that we live in. But this world is not our home. Our eyes should be on something more. Our hope is in something more. And our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's important because we are working out our faith as we anticipate Christ's second coming. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, this is the most important decision that a person can make in this life. You know, in Romans chapter 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The implications of the resurrection and the importance of it cannot be overstated. This whole series has been designed to help us to understand these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. He is sending us out into the world before his ascension. You see it at the right hand of the Father right now, and it's through our obedience, through our working out of our faith, that God's plan is being accomplished, building us up, encouraging one another, all the more as we see that day approaching. And I want to encourage you this morning that the resurrection has not changed the way you think or the way that you are living your life. We would love the opportunity to to answer questions that you have or to help you understand the importance of it in our lives. You know, we have small groups that are designed to help people, you know, learn more about the Bible and grow in their faith. If if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it starts there. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, if you are not, in your mind, convinced or sure that you've made a faith commitment, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you. So after the service this morning, I'm just going to stick around up here to the front. And if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about it. If you're watching online, you can click that link. You can talk to one of our hosts we want to help people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ and have the assurance that we have. And so, if you want to know more about a relationship with Christ, please you can stick around after the service, or you you can text "next step" to this phone number. You can scan that QR code. We want to make sure that people have the information to make a decision about what to do with Christ. Then we want to help them grow in their faith. And so, if the resurrection is not impacting your life on a routine basis, we'd love to help you with the opportunity to, you know, just understand how you can live out. The importance and the reality of this truth we have uh pastor david nelms with tti is going to be with us next week we're going to be talking about uh, missions and the importance of our work around the globe uh, we're looking forward to what god has for us as we uh, prepare to finish up this series we've got two more weeks uh, as we move through uh these post-resurrection appearances and i just pray uh, that god will continue to draw each of us closer to himself that he would accomplish his plans and purposes in our life would you pray with me Father, we just thank you for this uh, day you've given us today. Uh, we thank you for the eyewitness testimony of the 500. Uh, we thank you for those that have uh, given their lives uh, for this truth. God, we thank you for those that have, you spoke to that have, have given us your word. And so, God, I thank you for your faithfulness uh, to us in the past. We thank you for your faithfulness in the present, and we know that we can trust you with our future. And uh, God, I pray that you would draw each of us closer to yourself. Uh, God, for those that are unclear about our relationship with Christ, I pray that you'd help them to get that clarity, that they, they know that faith is reasonable. Uh, God, that Christians don't just check their mind at the door. Uh, there's reasons to believe uh, that Christ was resurrected. There's reasons for us to be able to trust you. It's called faith because of the things that we don't see, but we also know that faith is a work of your uh, your spirit in our hearts. And so, God, I pray that you draw those that don't have a relationship with Christ to yourself for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, I pray that you would continue to work that faith out in our lives so that we can live as your witnesses, we can help other people to understand the hope that we have within ourselves and so that we can be a part of your plan. And God, we commit this day to you, and we look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: All right, go ahead and stand for one final song.
1: Who's the
4: Sunday is Father's Day. Guys, will have a gift for you, probably something in the meat category. We'll have a couple bags of vegetables out there, just in case you don't like meat. But uh, we hope that you can come back with us uh, next week. We're going to he- be hearing from uh, Dr. David Nelms from TTI. We're looking forward to having him be our guest. Uh, it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you have any questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, if you want to pray you know, today to receive Christ, we would love the opportunity to talk with you. I think I might my sister Don. Donna and I will be up here in the front. I would love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, if you have any questions, please, be, please let us know. Uh, we're glad that you were with us today. I hope you have a great day. Be blessed. God bless you.